And thank you for joining us on the Society of Publication Designers Who the F Did That Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Gaiuca. On this episode, we talk with two experts in career coaching and personal branding. Finding a job is hard. Getting the job is even harder, especially in the current global and publishing climates. Whether you're looking for another job in your industry or changing careers completely, job hunting and applying can be a very daunting task. Luckily, we have our two amazing guests that will share tips and best practices to help you stand out in the sea of resumes. Joining us today are Stephanie Steinberg, the founder and CEO of the Detroit Writing Room and the New York Writing Room, and Phil Dean, HR professional and Detroit Writing Room career coach. Welcome, Stephanie and Phil. I'm so happy to have you both here today. Now, before we dive into the wonderful world of job hunting, let's tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Stephanie, let's start with you. Thanks, Natalie, and thank you, SPD, for having us. Um, It's very fun to be part of this podcast. Um, I, as we mentioned, I'm the founder of The Writing Room in New York and Detroit, and I am a journalist as well. I spent the last over a decade working in newsrooms from US News and World Report to the Detroit News. And here in Detroit, I was also the managing editor of a lifestyle magazine. So um, I've spent a lot of time looking at resumes and cover letters and hiring freelancers and designers and photographers. So um, I'm excited to be part of this conversation with you today. Awesome. Well, welcome. We're excited to have you. Phil, can you tell us a little bit about your background in HR? Yes, absolutely. And thank you, Natalie, for having us today. I have worked in HR for about 10 years now, and I began working in in the recruiting area. So I've seen a lot of resumes uh, during my time. Um, I've also worked in talent management. I've worked as an HR business partner. Um, Now I am also a director of uh, people and culture. Um, I enjoy working in human resources, and I also enjoy coaching people both in the workplace and also outside of work on um, specific um, resume writing. Um, That's something that I do with the Detroit Writing Room. So very happy to be with all of you today. Awesome. Welcome. Thank you. Um, So I know firsthand how hard it is to find and secure a job in publishing. The creative industry is large, but when you're looking for a new job, it suddenly feels very small. Um, With print trending down, magazine and editorial jobs are harder to find and even harder to snag because the talent pool is huge. I've decided that I hate my job. I don't, I love it, but for the sake of this podcast, I'm ready to change jobs. What's the first step? Yes, so the first step in the strategy for a job search is first to define your search. So when when you define your search, there's a few different things that you, that should be considered. One is what type of industry that you're looking to work in. Are you looking to work in um, the auto industry, the food industry, academia? I could go on and on with different industries. Uh, another consideration is the size of the company. Are you looking to work for a Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 company or a medium-sized company or a small business? It's important to consider in the first step. Are you open to considering nonprofits? Nonprofits can definitely, you know, provide a lot of meaningful work and um, a lot of, you know, uh, reward, rewarding work. 
there are also maybe some drawbacks um, depending on you know what type of pay you're, that you're looking for. Are you open to working for the government? Also in the defined uh, step, it's important to def define um, the location that you're looking to work in. Are you open to relocation? How far do you want to drive every day? And also define what type of employment model are you looking for? Are you looking for a full-time salaried position? Are you open to contract work, attempt to hire part-time? So that's all important to consider before you begin applying uh, to assess, to define what type of industry, the size of the company, uh, the location, and also the employment model that you, you're open to considering. That's a lot of stuff. That's really great. That will kind of like filter down the, you know, thousands and thousands Absolutely. of jobs into what you really actually would be happy with. And Stephanie, what do you suggest? How do you catch someone's eye? Another thing to keep in mind is what um, your professional portfolios look like online. Um, I think for creatives and designers, photographers specifically, it's really important to have a professional website that's current and up to date and showcases the latest work that you've done, whether it's um, photography or designing pages for a publication. Uh, you want to have that up on the site and easy to find because the first thing someone's going to do after they look at your resume is probably Google you and you're going to want them to find your professional portfolio online. So um, that's just something else to keep in mind as you're starting to, you know, look about for a job and um, be prepared for people to start looking at you. So what if I don't have a website? How do you have any tips for how to build one or where do you hire someone to build one? So um, you can obviously hire. There's a lot of designers out there that are probably very happy to work with you. Um, through the Detroit Writing Room and New York Writing Room, we actually have web designers who offer coaching and they do this for clients who want to spruce up their websites um, and might need some help, whether it's with their imagery or their content. Um, so there is always an option to go out and hire someone to help you um, with this. Or, you know, it's easy to start your own website these days if you use a platform like Squarespace, some people like Wix, um, something basic. It doesn't have to be super fancy as long as it showcases who you are and showcases your work as well. And for your resume and website, um... I think for my personal experience, I feel like it's important that they all, that you're representing a brand and they're all going to tie together. So you'd want to have your resume and your website and your signature, everything should match the language and, and the color scheme. If you have a color scheme, everything should match and feel very uniform. Um, do you have any other tips about your website or your resume of what it should look like? I think for designers in particular, you do want it to stand out because that that is your field, right? You want to showcase that you can put together a professional looking product um, and that catches someone's eye. So I don't know if it's super important that your resume matches the exact design on your website, but I do think if you have some cohesive branding, it does showcase you have intention behind your products. So um, 
you know, don't go too overboard because, you know, myself as an editor, I, I don't want to see some sort of flashy, you know, designed resume that's got all these crazy colors, but something that does, you know, stand out from the standard template, which I'm sure Phil sees a lot of working with people who are not designers necessarily. That makes a lot of sense. Um, we did ask some of our SPD Instagram followers a question. We told them that we are going to be speaking with you guys on an upcoming podcast and to send us their questions for the career coaches. So um, just throughout this, I'm going to ask you some questions that were submitted by our listeners. Um, the first is, and I, this, I mean, I have struggled with this question many, many times. I'm sure a lot of people have. Should you take a job that is lower in salary, but it's your dream job? Yeah, I'll take that one. So as part of the job search strategy, <laughs> the first step that we talked about was to define. After you define your industry and what type of employment model and location, some of the basic things that you'd be looking for, then the next step would be to assess. And as part of assessing, it's important to set your priorities for your search. And that includes reward expectations. So what type of pay are you looking for or salary are you looking for? What type of entry requirements are there for the job? And what, what are the outlook prospects for the job? So those are all you know, very important things. And you know, if there is a dream job that you're looking for, sometimes I've seen a lot of people, um, some you know, people that are close to me that have taken step, a step back in their compensation and they become much more happier with their job it's important to you know there's a saying that you know if you don't um it's important to enjoy what you do um and money is not always everything to people yeah i definitely agree with that sometimes sometimes you take a lower paying job which could be a low lower stress job and sometimes you and need that. <laughs> more rewarding in other ways. So now I've decided that I'm switching careers and I know what my dream job looks like, but now I have to find it. So how do I do that? Where do I start? Yeah. So after you define and assess as part of the job search, search strategy, you should be in a really good place and have your priorities in line to begin entering the market. And that includes not just applying for jobs, but also networking going to conferences when it's safe to do so in person, um, attending informational interviews, and then also applying for jobs. And as part of, of applying for jobs, it's important to consider everything that we talked about already and you know have a very clear um, clear search of what exactly you're looking for. It's very easy to go on websites and like LinkedIn and Indeed and just, you know, click apply for a hundred different jobs, but that's not as meaningful if it does not define, or if it does not fit what your overall strategy is. As, as, part, of, as, as part of the search too, it's important to, you know, have a, you know, very structured routine of when to look for jobs, you know, there's a saying that looking for a job is like a full-time job. And, you know, that's somewhat true, I feel. It's important to have a, a routine of when, when you're looking for jobs. So when I've personally done it in the past, either, you know, I do it early in the morning or, you know, when I get home from work. Um, so I have a routine of, you know, when I go on my computer and look at jobs. There's also um, a best practice of 
for recruiters to review resumes as they come in or review applications as they come in. And typically what I've seen is a lot of companies will keep jobs posted on their website until the person shows up on their first day of work. So there could be a job that's been posted out there for 30 days or 60 days and there's already a candidate lined up there that the company is just waiting to show up on their first day. So it's also important to have a routine to look at when you look at jobs, look at all of the jobs that have been posted since the last day, uh, since you last looked. Um, and if you take that approach, I feel that you as a candidate will have a much better chance of being viewed by the recruiter and then have a better chance of receiving a phone call and invitation to interview and then you know talk about your um, qualifications for the job. And I think too, this is an important stage for you to also do your homework on the company that you're looking at. So um, what that could entail is, you know, looking at their websites, yes, but also their Instagram, their Facebook, their Twitter profiles, see what kind of digital footprint they have. Um, you want to be familiar with them because if you do get that phone call to come in for the interview, you want to make sure you understand uh, the company and what they're putting out there in terms of messaging. Um, on the flip side, I think um, it's important to also look at your LinkedIn profile too. And this is a stage where you could start to not only make sure that it's fully completely filled out, but have recommendations from people that you currently work with. Um, you know, there's a section on LinkedIn that you can ask for recommendations from people you work with or bosses. I always tell people, you know, you can trade recommendations with someone. So if it's a colleague and you feel comfortable asking them, hey, would you mind writing me a recommendation on LinkedIn to showcase you know, my great photography skills? Um, I'll write one for you in return. That's a very low pressure way of doing it so that it doesn't seem like you're searching for the job at the moment. It's just something to do to you know, help each other out. So um, don't forget that step because I think recruiters are gonna look at the recommendations and see what see what people say about and, you. and to stephanie's point about researching the company it's it is also important when you are applying for jobs to research the company if you have not if you're not aware of what the company is what they stand for so it's important in, in my view to research their values their mission their vision make sure that your own values are aligned with with those um, if that's important to you um, that's important to a lot of people i feel and also research what other people are saying about the company so there's a lot of resources out there these days on whether that's glassdoor or indeed to see what other uh, other people that are working there or have worked there how they, how they feel about the company are those the two websites you use most frequently yourself? Typically, yes. Um, also, LinkedIn has a uh, is part of their premium. Uh, there, you can see some insights on on the company, um, how, whether they're growing, um, the medium tenure of employees at the company, and that, then you can also you know draw some conclu conclusions from from that data as well. And, that's interesting, the LinkedIn premium. How important or unimportant is it for not someone in HR, but just like a regular person looking for a job? Um, like how, is it important for us to have the premium? Is it worth it? I mean, I know it's not very expensive, but when you're unemployed- yeah, it totally understand expensive. that uh, and, and good question. It certainly can provide some value. Um, 
you can candidates that don't want to pay the money for LinkedIn premium uh, can also, I feel, get by without it. Um, with LinkedIn premium, there's a certain number of free messages that you can send per month uh, to people that you're not connected with. And that when, when, you, when you're applying for jobs, I feel like it's also important to network with people that maybe work at the company. So it's important to have a big network of people that you know you can call on. Um, so sometimes some things that I've done personally when I apply for a job is I look up the company on LinkedIn and see if there's anyone that I'm connected with that works there that maybe could put in a good word for me. And that's um, worked for me in the past to uh, get invited to some interviews. If you're not connected with anybody, that's where LinkedIn Premium could um, help where you can send someone that you're not connected with a, a quick message, whether that's you know a hiring manager or you know a director of recruiting, but you can also send that person an invitation request and see if you can connect with them. And then if that person accepts your accepts your request, and then you can send them a free message. Sending, I feel like sending those messages are proactive things that can sometimes go a long way to show your interest in the company. Okay, so now we've found the job. And as you mentioned, applying for the job does feel like a full-time job because I know you have to really cater and tailor your application um, to that specific job. So what tips do you have that we can make this like a less daunting task and help me stand out and not get skipped over by the robot resume scanners? Yep. So it's important to when you're applying for a job is to review the job description. Every job description is a little different and it's important to review the, the um, main responsibilities of the job, the requirements of the job. Uh, it'll list some you know, experiences that are needed, whether that's in you know, specific software or you know, ex just experience doing specific things. And if you have that experience that's listed in the job description, it's important that that's also listed in your resume. So um, that's how you can tailor a, um, a resume for a position. And as you mentioned, um, you know, there are bots or computers that help uh, scan, scan resumes. And I'm sure you know, a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast have heard the number of seconds that a recruiter usually spends looking at a resume. So it's important that the experience that they're looking for is reflected in the resume. I have gotten passed up by many resume robots. <laughs> All their <laughs> loss. Totally their loss. <laughs> I think too, you know, sometimes you might not be going through a robot. I think if you're applying to magazines or editorial work, it's probably an editor who's going to be looking at your resume straight up. So um, my number one piece of advice is always to spell the hiring manager's name correctly. I know it seems very easy and straightforward and a simple thing to do, but you have no idea how many uh, cover letters I've gotten that are addressed to the wrong um, person or they have my name misspelled or they even said Mr. Steinberg when I'm clearly a woman. So it just goes to show you need to do a little bit of research to make sure you're addressing it properly. Um, and, you know, if I see something that's misspelled, I'm going to toss it out because it shows that you don't care and you're not spending the time to actually look up who you're addressing your cover letter to. So, 
spelling and um, <laughs> proper properly addressing your your materials is really important. Okay, so if I have to change my resume so that the keywords all line up, what's in the job description is on my resume. Does that mean I need different resumes? Because I mean, as a photo editor, if I'm applying to a magazine, my title's going to be a photo editor and the vocabulary is going to be that to what they have in a magazine, but I'll do the exact same job. Like literally every single thing is the same at a TV studio or um, a network, but the, but the vocabulary is completely different. And there I might be a photo producer. And if I go work in the ad world, maybe I'm an art buyer, but it's all the same job. So do I need to make a resume for each one of these different categories? Yeah. So you could, as part of your search, you could consider um, writing, tailoring your resume either for certain jobs or also for certain industries. Um, so you could have a resume for industry A, a resume for industry B, and a resume for industry C. As part of the define, assess, enter uh, strategy, those resumes should reflect your, your job search and also the industries that you're looking to get into. That seems like a lot. <laughs> but I understand why it's needed. Stephanie, do you have people at the writing room or like who could help with this? Are there people, are there career coaches out there that someone could hire to help with their resume? Yeah, absolutely. We all the time see a lot of people who might have a draft of their resume, but they want another set of eyes on it just to make sure that it is polished and, you know, proper spelling, like I mentioned, but it's structured the right way. Um, so Phil is actually our top career coach with the Detroit Writing Room, and you can sign up with him for a one-on-one -on -one coaching session. Um, today, everything's virtual. So whether you're in New York or LA or in Detroit, um, we're meeting with people across the country. And, um, you know, it's an hour-long session on Zoom, and we'll take a look at your resume with you um, by sharing the screen. And Phil's great. He gives the best advice. Um, he's also, I'm just going to toot his own horn. I'm a, he's available for writing a resume too. If you're not comfortable with actually writing it yourself, you can have Phil write it for you. So we do offer that service. Um, but there are other career coaches out there who will help, you know, take a look at your resume and cover letter and I think it's always a good idea whether you hire someone or you ask a friend or a relative to take a look at your resume and cover letter before you send it out because you could look at it a hundred times and not catch something and someone else could you know see it right away so never hurts to get another set of eyes on it yeah I mean I've always had to do that I fortunately have worked in editorial with lots of uh, people who are really good at writing I'm really good with pictures, so I can put my portfolio together, but I definitely struggle in the cover letter writing, resume writing. It, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's very complicated for me. It's hard. It is hard um, because you're, you're trying to sell yourself. And people are not right. good at that. You know, I think people shy away from trying to sell themselves, but you have to in order to get the job that you want. You, you just do. <laughs> So another part of, you know, the application process, you have your resume, you have your cover letter and your website, which for me is kind of my, my most important. I just hope they look, hold my resume long enough to look at my website. Well, my website's actually down at the moment, but it's great when it gets back up. That's where I feel that's like the meat and potatoes of my 
work. And one thing that I really struggled with, and I'm currently redesigning my website and redoing my bio because the last time I wrote a bio, I, I, I read it. And I mean, I, I now have two dogs, a cat and a child, <laughs> more than I did when I wrote that bio originally. So a lot has changed, but I did a bunch of research. I looked at other people's websites and I really struggled with what am I supposed to be saying in the bio? Like, what is it about? How long should it be? Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, I'll take that one. I think, you know, the most important thing is that your bio shares your accomplishments, but it also tells a story. So the person reading it who might be hiring you gets a sense of who you are, what you've done, where you've been, and your personality too. Like, I want to hear about your dogs and your kid and, you know, sprinkle that in there. That's okay. Um, I think your website is a great place where you can take a couple paragraphs and tell your story. Um, and then maybe have a separate condensed version for LinkedIn under the about me section at the top. That's really just more of your professional experience and, you know, doesn't necessarily talk about your pets and your children. Um, but I think, you know, with your cover letter, one thing I, I wanted to mention is you can actually link, you know, specific things from your website in your cover letter and make it hyperlinked. So let's say you're talking about a photo shoot that you did with Rihanna. Um, you know, you can then link to Rihanna and that beautiful photo shoot you did with her on your website and directly take that hiring manager there to see those photos. So um, I believe you just worked with Rihanna. So that's why I named I, that. I, <laughs> I I'm did. super jealous, that by the way. A wonderful, wonderful shoot. I'm so glad it worked out and will be on the front page of my website. Once there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that is something to showcase and totally sell. <laughs> so um, yeah, don't be afraid to use some hyperlinks to take people directly to the work that you've done, whether it's photography That's a great or idea. designs. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I just gave you a tip for your website. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so now we have a couple questions from our Instagram followers about this. Um, the first question is, we're told to apply even if we don't meet all of the requirements. What are usually the non-negotiables? Yeah, so every job description has specific requirements. Sometimes um, some companies are, those are set in stone. Sometimes companies are a little more flexible with those requirements. That varies from company to company. There's a saying that uh, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So if it's a job that really interests you, it doesn't hurt to apply. A lot of job, job descriptions also list what's required and, and also what's preferred. Uh, and there it's more clear that companies tend to be more flexible with the preferred qualifications. And those are things that you would want to make sure are in your resume Absolutely. and or yes. on your cover letter. You should tailor your resume and or your cover letter to reflect those qualifications. One thing here, though, is, you know, sometimes jobs will say you need at least three years of experience. So they're looking for five to 10 years of experience. And I think with creatives, it's really important, more so your work than your experience, because you could be an extremely talented designer, yet be straight out of college, right? And you, you might not have that five-year experience mark, but you might have designed these amazing spreads for your college newspaper or magazine, and that will catch the hiring person's eye. And they might realize they don't need someone with 10 years of experience when you've got the experience, not the experience, but the expertise and the skills that they're looking for. So that's one, I think, differentiator with creative positions versus like 
engineers or accountants. You yeah, know? for sure. And <laughs> when a creative applies for a position, they should also provide whether that's a link in their resume or um, some other way, maybe a link to their website where uh, you, that person can showcase uh, some of their work. One other question we got from our Instagram followers is, what is the right way to write a cover letter? Is there a right way? So yeah, um, for cover letters, those are sometimes used to complement a resume. Some job postings will say a cover letter is required. Others may not uh, say that, but um, people still choose to submit a cover letter. And the cover letter should be specifically tailored to the position in which you're applying for. So, and, you know, typically a cover letter is no more than one page, usually less than one page. Typically it's around three paragraphs with the first paragraph explaining who you are, what you're looking for in your next position, and what interests you in the particular position in the company in which you're applying for. The next part of the cover letter, the second paragraph, will briefly outline your qualifications and experience, specifically as it relates to the position. And then the third paragraph can just be a quick, brief conclusion, thanking them for your their consideration and also listing your contact information. And for a creative, it's important that the cover letter also reflects your brand. Oh, that's right. Yeah, keeping them all uniform. Um, and with LinkedIn, uh, just to go back to LinkedIn for a second, how important is it to keep it up to date and, and really use it as a tool? Like, are we expected to be on it regularly and be checking those emails? Because I feel like anytime I go on, it's when I'm looking for a job. And then when I have a job, I'm not on there at all, ever. And the minute I need a job again, I'm back fully on LinkedIn. Is that bad practices? Should Good I question. be on it all the time? I know you can set up uh, your email <laughs> to receive notifications from LinkedIn if someone messages you. So if you're not actively on there, I would certainly encourage you to do that as there's a lot of recruiters out there that actively search out people that maybe are not active in the market. And I would hate to um, maybe receive a message from a recruiter on a, regarding a job that you know is a dream job of mine, even though I'm not actively looking and see that sitting there three months later. <laughs> so I'd certainly encourage you to set that up in your email. Um, I, my personal opinion is that having your LinkedIn up to date is just as important, if not more important than having your resume. And the reason that I say that is that your resume only goes to people in which you send it to, right? So you apply for a job here, apply for a job there, where your LinkedIn is really out there for the whole universe if you have your privacy settings that way, which most people do. So anyone can see your qualifications at any given time. And to my point earlier, there's recruiters out there that look look for candidates uh, for jobs. You know, you know, we live in a job market where, where there's you know, up until last year, there were more jobs for specific fields uh, that were vacant than candidates available. So recruiters are very much active, actively looking to take people away from companies. Uh, so it's important to have your resume and LinkedIn reflect, reflect each other. So not just list the job titles for the jobs, but also list what were your specific duties and also your accomplishments at each each job. So um, 
recruiters can see and hiring managers can see if you could potentially be a good fit for their company. You touch on something so interesting, which I thought I really knew a lot about LinkedIn because I did have like a career coach experience once where they like walk you through all that. I don't understand what you mean by having your LinkedIn public versus private. Cause I thought only people who connect with you, who you like accept in a connection can actually see. Yeah. So from, from what I understand, there's a specific, um, privacy settings, you could set it to only be visible to your network, or you could set it visible to the whole universe. Uh, so that's really your own personal preference. I guess my question about that is, if your LinkedIn is set to public where everyone can see you, does that mean you're like first connected with everyone in the world and you can just, and then everyone can be emailing you? Or are you still your public, but you can only get emails from people you're connected Correct. with? So it's important as, as part of when, when you create your LinkedIn to decide what privacy settings you're most comfortable with. So you could set, set it to be private in which only people that you're connected with can view your information and, and also contact you. If, you, if you're comfortable, comfortable having your LinkedIn being public, anybody can see your information, but only people that you're connected with uh, can message you unless they use the in-mails, which cost ex extra money and, and are part of LinkedIn Premium. Um, so for the privacy settings, there's specific settings for you know, um, viewing your specific contact information, whether you have a public profile or a private profile, um, if you're able to see who's viewed your profile and vice versa. And also if you're open, if you are open for opportunities, there is a way to make yourself visible that you're open for opportunities. So that's you know another comfort level uh, decision. Are you comfortable kind of putting yourself out there and maybe having your company finding out that you're open to opportunities? So those are all personal privacy questions, and you know some people may be more comfortable than others. Um, it's all personal comfort level. Wow. I had no idea there were so many options with LinkedIn. I mean, with all my social media, it's like locked down private and I feel very comfortable and I would never have any other way. And it didn't even occur to me, but it makes complete sense that with LinkedIn, I might want the hiring manager at, I don't know, HBO or Apple or any of these places to be able to look at my qualifications. Yeah, because even like Phil said, you might not be looking for a job, but they might be looking to fill a role and they'll see, you know, whatever position you list, whether it's photo editor or something else, they can type in their photo editors in New York and you might pop up. So um, totally a good idea to keep it public. Yeah, and it's also important that every person ensures that their LinkedIn profile reflects their personal brand. So that includes the picture that you post on your LinkedIn, having that be a professional headshot, a headline that is um, that reflects your brand. It doesn't necessarily need to be a title, but um, a headline that it, you know um, attracts people. Um, your background photo, a personalized link uh, for your LinkedIn. So you know the default is kind of like a gibberish uh, link, but you can uh, personalize your link. So it can be linkedin.com slash your name and last name if it's not already taken. Also, um, 
the the brand also reflects your activity on LinkedIn. So the things that you like are visible to others. The things that you you comment or you share are visible to others. So pe people should be careful um, and aware of their personal brand as they are not just on their own profile, but also liking, commenting, and uh, sharing specific things as that can be visible. Um, I would say that it's also important um, to um, keep your other sections of LinkedIn up to date, including any references. So people that you've worked with in the past, you could ask them to maybe write an endorsement for you uh, on LinkedIn and have that visible. Um, that Small things like that can certainly go a long way. That was so helpful. And I feel like I need to go clean up my LinkedIn right now. <laughs> Um, great. So we applied for the job, our LinkedIn's up to date, our resume, our website, everything's ready to go. Now we're just sitting around waiting for the phone to ring, or I guess we're waiting for you know, our inbox to change. And it's so much anxiety during that waiting moment. Um, but let's say it all works out and you get the email and the interview is on the calendar. What are some tips to nail the interview? So in preparation for the interview, prior to the interview, it's important to be ready. That includes researching not just the job, but also the company, researching the company mission, their, their values, what they stand for, any recent news articles uh, on the company. If you're traveling to the interview, um, know where you're going, give yourself enough time to get there. If you're dial dialing in on Zoom, make sure that Zoom or Skype or um, Teams or whatever um, tool that's being used is downloaded on your computer and that you've tested it and make sure the microphone works and the video works and the lighting is good in the room. Also, more um, things about your background, but it's important to know your resume and be prepared to talk about it. Be prepared to talk about your experiences, stress your strengths, and um, be prepared for the typical questions like, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses and what interests you in this company? Um, it's also important not just to be prepared for the company's questions, but to prepare a list of questions for the company. So usually what I recommend is to maybe write down a list of maybe eight to 10 questions for the company. Sometimes a lot, maybe half of those questions will be answered just in the general dialogue back and forth. And then when the um, interviewer asks you, do you have any questions for us? Then you'll have some questions to, to ask them. And that certainly helps show interest um, in the opportunity. If a candidate has no questions, sometimes hiring managers can see that, that maybe they're not interested in this job or maybe they're not interested in this company. But also it's important um, not only for the interviewer to ask um, the person uh, that's being interviewed, but also for that the inter interviewee is also interviewing the company to ensure that that's a good fit for them. Um, so those are all things that can um, that are important in preparation for the interview. I'm totally guilty of sitting through a whole interview and getting to the end knowing they are going to ask me if I have any questions and have no questions because I, that, that just, I don't know why it's like usually the most important things I'm thinking of are all answered. They're all the basics. Um, and I'm just thinking of getting to the next interview. So do you have any good, just like general common questions I could use at, at the end mm -hmm. to ask Yeah, them? there's, um, you could certainly ask them about 
there's what what are the um, top priorities for your company or for your department this year? What's maybe um, if I were hired into this position, what what could you know the first 30, 60, 90 days look like? What are some outlook prospects within the department um, for any growth opportunities? Those are just a few ideas that come come to mind. And also, how would you describe your company culture? Um, you know, I come from a background of working in newsrooms, which they each have their own culture. Um, so it's always important to get a sense of are these, you know, is it a tight knit place where everyone's working hand in hand or is it more you're off kind of on your own doing your own projects? Um, are there company, you know, happy hours at the end of the week, that kind of stuff. Um, it can kind of give you a better sense of what they're about and, and what it would be like working there. Those are great questions. I really could have used these last week. <laughs> as you prepare for the interview, as you answer some of the questions that the hiring manager asks you or the interviewer asks you, it's important to um, you know keep a few things in mind. So when someone asks you for a specific example of maybe how you've behaved um, in you know past in the, in the past, those are behavioral type questions. And the reason why companies ask that is because past performance is really truly the best predictor for future performance. So those types of questions are increasingly used by employers so like examples of you know questions like that is give me a specific example of a time where you had to conform with a policy in which you did not agree or describe a, a time where you where you were faced with a stressful situation so when, when you answer those types of questions um, it's important to, you know, walk through from the beginning to the end, you know, get, showing the outcome. So there's a couple like uh, tricks that you can maybe use is there's a, a approach called the star approach where it's, you describe the situation, what the task was, what the action was that you took, then what the result or outcome was. So really explaining the question or the situation from the beginning to end. Um, another approach, you know, a lot sometimes employers will ask, how would you do something knowing what happens, what would you do differently in the future? And uh, for that approach, um, I use a card approach, C-A-R-D, where you describe the circumstances, the action that you took, what the result was, and then knowing what happened, what would you do differently in the future? So really walking through from beginning to end. One thing too, if you're going to an in-person interview, um, make sure to bring your portfolio. So if you are a photographer or designer and you've got a hardbound volume of, you know, photos and page designs you've done, bring that with you because I think that can put you over the top to showcase what you've done. Um, it's something tangible that the person can look through as they're talking to you. And um, it, it never hurts to have a portfolio with you. So make sure to bring that if it's in person. If it's virtual, obviously you can't do that as well. But um, if it is virtual, make sure to dress up. I know people still wonder like, oh, I'm just sitting in, you know, at home. Do I need to really wear like a suit or a dress? And I say, yes, you do. You need to look like you're going to an in-person interview. So still, still dress up. Don't wear those pajama bottoms in case you have to like walk up, you know, get up for something. <laughs> That would not be a good situation. <laughs> One thing I'm going to add in, though, about the um, portfolio, because I have actually, while I've been interviewing for jobs and also 
interviewing people um, to hire as well. And the, if you're showing your work, you can do it virtually with sharing your screen, True. but act like you've done it before practice. Zoom is free. Google meet is free. Go on with a friend and practice sharing your screen. Yes. That is very important. Very important because if I do, if you're a photographer coming to me, I want to be able to see, you're going to talk about your work. I want to be able to see your work. I don't want to have to go back and forth with screens going from your website to Zoom and back and forth. Yeah, It just will make it easier on me and I'll make it, I'll be able to focus more on you and your work. But spending 10 minutes trying to like explain to how to share your screen, it just, it just yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. So practice. Let's pretend we didn't take the interview and it went great. We're done. Now it's time to send the thank you card. Do we do we still send thank you cards or is it the thank you email? Yeah. So at this point? after the interview, first I would personally reflect on what was discussed and reflect on the job and the opportunity and personally evaluate if there's a fit. I would also follow up with a, a thank you note, whether I felt it was a fit or not, just you know, thinking the to thank the people for the time um, that uh, interviewed me. Um, typically what I see these days is more emails than cards. Um, you know, And it's important too to personalize wh- whether you send an email or a card, um, typically it's an email is to personalize um, the email based on the discussion. So like I enjoyed our discussion about X, Y, and Z. And you know, I feel like I can certainly provide value to your company, look forward to hearing back. And typically, if I don't hear back in a few days, I'll just send a quick note and say, I would like to inquire if there's any updates regarding the opportunity, um, you know, to keep in regular contact with the hiring team. Regular contact, but not stalking. So how, <laughs> is there a limit to how many follow-ups you can do? I, I would, um, yeah, it's, there's not a set number, but once you don't hear back a few <laughs> times, then I would uh, maybe look for other opportunities. Yeah, if it starts to feel like overkill, it probably is. Um, One question we had from uh, our Instagram followers is, um, when being interviewed by multiple people at the same time, what's the best way to go about getting contact information so you can send a personalized thank you to everyone you met? Good question. So there's a few different approaches that could be taken. If you're interviewing in person, certainly you can ask those people for a business card. You could ask the recruiter or whoever set up the interview for their contact information. A lot of companies have, you know, similar formats too for emails, like first name dot last name at company.com. So um, if you don't have information, you could probably take a best guess of um, what that is. Um, also, if you're interviewing on Zoom or Google Meet, um, you could open up if you received a meeting invite. Um, there's a pretty good chance that their contact information is probably in that meeting invite as attendees. So th- there's a few different approaches that can be taken to gather the contact information so you can uh, send that important thank you letter. It's a great tip. Um, and another question we had, and actually a handful of people had the same question, so I'm just going to paraphrase. Um, any advice for talented creatives who feel like their age is holding them back against younger people applying? Yeah, so 
my advice um, for anybody, whether you know they're 50 years old, 60 years old, 20 years old, is to know your worth and know what value you can bring to the company and be able to articulate that. And you know that I feel goes a long way. And there's also you know specific employment laws as it relates to age and race and gender and sexual orientation, et cetera, that companies cannot discriminate based on those protected classes. So the biggest takeaway for me, I guess, in this whole thing is that really I'm selling myself for the job and trying to figure out what my brand is and what is that story that I'm telling? How do I know what story I'm telling? Good question. So it's important for candidates to be aware of the story that they are telling, both through your resume, your LinkedIn, your cover letter, but also the words that are coming out of your mouth during interviews. So it's important to have that story all aligned and crisp and all, all, all very much in alignment with what's coming out of your mouth and also what's um, published. Uh, one, one example that I like to share with people that I coach is the Gettysburg Address from President Lincoln. So when um, President Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address, the nation was at war. There was a lot of death during that time. Um, but that Gettysburg Address, um, he focused on um, the great people in the nation, the dedicated people, um, the devotion to our country. And you can see that if you, there's websites out there called uh, Word Clouds. Um, Wordle is an example where you can dump in text and uh, it'll show what themes are, prom are prominent um, in that text. And if I dump that text in, the big words that come out are nation, dedicated, great, and people. Dead um, is one word, but um, those other words are much bigger. And you know that's the story that um, President Lincoln wanted to give in the Gettysburg Address. And um, what I encourage people to do is to put their story into those word clouds and see what are the key themes that come out and what are the story that you're telling and are those keywords, um, are those the themes that you're looking to convey um, when you're telling your story? That sounds great. This is why Phil is one of our expert career coaches because he has all the great tips and advice. <laughs> that is a great tip and a very unique tip, which I honestly had not heard before. What is it called? Word cloud, right? Yep. There's there's Word cloud, Word cloud um, platforms out there where you can uh, copy and paste the text in and it'll, it'll show you what those key, key things are in the text. can't wait till it tells me what my brand is. This is going to be exciting. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Who the F Did That Career Special Part 1. Part 2 of our series will be out soon, and it includes even more tips and guidance for how to land your next job. Anyone who wants to check out previous episodes of our podcast, they are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our website at spd.org. Make sure you head over to the website now, check out our upcoming virtual events calendar. We have a packed calendar this year filled with speaker events, creative workshops, portfolio reviews, and more. 
Also, make sure you sign up to become an SPD member. Members receive discounted ticketing prices to our events. You get the job posting announcements before it gets released wide, and you'll connect with our 400 plus roster of top creative professionals. The member benefits are worth it, I promise.